Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, we made it to the end of our week. Fantastic weekend beckons. Ohio State at Wisconsin. We have AFC and NFC championship games. Some good sports this weekend to talk about. Uh, Buckeye football to talk about going forward. And I'll have a faith portion for you that I'm excited about. I uh, really felt like uh, had something good to share tied to current events. Gave me kind of a window into it. So let's get right to it uh, as we start this We Tackle Life podcast, We, You, and Me. So, uh, Buckeyes tomorrow at the Kohl Center. OSU, bad loss to Wisconsin. Uh, bad loss to Purdue. Um, wow, that was painful. Could see it coming. Too many wasted possessions. Um, careless with the ball in terms of handling it and shot selection after they moved to an 11-point lead. In the first half, they went empty on five straight possessions. Didn't kill them. The lead came down to six at the break. They shot it back up to seven midway through the half. Purdue wasn't really doing anything. And I just had this uneasy feeling because they'd get into these stretches where instead of working for a good shot or taking advantage of opportunities, they just allowed Purdue to hang around and hang around and hang around. When you allow them to hang around, you can't be surprised when at the end of the game, Jaden Ivey hits a three-pointer to cost you the win. And that's what happened. And some losses, you know, I know they always say there's a 24-hour rule. The 24-hour rule is impervious to losses like the one OSU suffered at Northwestern and home against Purdue. Now, the loss at Purdue was not a great uh, game, an easy one to shed, but at least they didn't have E.J. Liddell in that one. They had E.J. Liddell on um, Tuesday night against Purdue. And yet, they didn't work it inside to E.J. Liddell. Coming off a career-high game at Illinois. And I know he made threes at Illinois. I get it. But don't fall in love with a three, E.J. You know, what's more likely? That E.J. Liddell is the guy who made three of 18 threes leading up to the Illinois game? Or he's the guy who made four of seven threes against Illinois? It's more likely that he's the first guy, right? So he and Kyle Young took seven combined threes against Purdue. And only eight shots inside the arc. That's not good enough. They got to work it inside. Well, the problem against Wisconsin on Saturday at four is that they have bigs just like Purdue. And I think, you know, I know Chris Holtman well enough to know he's going to be uh, emphasizing passing angles and things like that this week to get the ball inside and then kick it back out for threes. Hopefully they can free Justin Arns. Hopefully they can free Dwayne Washington. But Purdue does a great job of making you think, I'm open. Well, you are open. But you know what? Purdue wants you open. They want you to shoot that shot, and Ohio State fell for that. So it's a tough one to lose, 67-65, to 65. and now they have four Big Ten losses, and two of them are losses that should be wins. They're going to be an NCAA tournament team. They're going to be good at the end of the year. They're going to get Jimmy Sotos back and C.J. Walker back. Maybe not tomorrow, but they're going to get them back, and they'll integrate them back in, but they'll be fits and starts integrating them back in because here was the benefit of having Jimmy Sotos and C.J. Walker hurt. It shortened their rotation by necessity. They were playing 11 guys. Well, that's too many. But who should lose their spot? Say, uh, Gene Brown. Let's sit Gene Brown down. Well, Gene Brown, you don't beat UCLA without Gene Brown. Gene Brown's lengthy, good defender. Tough to sit him down. Can't sit Seth Towns down. He can come in, score 11 like he did against Illinois, or he can come in like he did against Northwestern. And give you nothing. So there's not enough consistency to just dismiss a guy or elevate a guy. <clears throat> and I think they'll go through. And this has kind of been common 
to Chris Holtman teams in the month of January in particular. Maybe this year it'll happen in February. They'll go through a swoon. I wouldn't be surprised to see them lose three, four in a row. I haven't looked at the schedule to see if that's problematic in terms of the matchups. But the thing we know is that Holtman always gives Ohio State a chance. Did you think they'd win at Rutgers? I did not. Did you think they'd win at Illinois? I did not. They did both, and largely because Holtman knows the right buttons to push. But Musa Jallo, don't take any more threes, please. No more. And Kyle Young, if you never took another one, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. It really wouldn't. Now, it will hurt my feelings if you don't order from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. They are such great people, and they do great things around the world. How? Well, because you buy their coffee. So I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know which came first, the success of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters or the quality of the coffee that they have. My guess is they're connected. Sure they are. Because once you taste Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee, whether it's whole bean, whether it's K-Cups, whether it's roasted, Spiel's favorite, Hunter's Blend, House Blend, Mr. Spielman, a big fan of Hemisphere. Now he has to be a paying customer at Hemisphere, given the fact that he's a big executive with the Detroit Lions. Oh, by the way, congrats. I texted Spiels the other day and said, hey, congrats on getting through the hiring process. They hired a GM. They hired a head coach. He's excited about it. You know, did you see the detail that Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, was getting all excited about talking about defense and playing physical? And he said, you got to bite the other team in the knee. You got to bite them in the knee. And I just imagined, I just imagined the interview where Spiels is sitting there in his tailored suit and maybe Barry Sanders is there because he's a advisor to the Lions and Rod Wood, the president of the uh, Lions is sitting there and Sheila Hemp Ford, the owner of the Lions is sitting there and Dan Campbell said, you got to bite him in the knee. And Spiels, I don't know if he jumped up, but inside he jumped up and he said, that's our guy. Bite him in the knee. Does that sound like a Chris Spielmanism or not? Of course it does. So, Spiels, number three in the Lions organization, first hire in the National Football League from the two men in a basement NFL consulting firm here on the Spielman and Hooley, formerly Spielman and Hooley podcast, now just We Tackle Life podcast. Thrilled for him that they got a guy that he's excited about. You, though, like Spiels, can get 15% off at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com when you use the promo code, in all caps, we tackle life. So order your coffee and say, I drink the coffee Chris Spielman drinks. I drink the coffee that's helping people in Indonesia, Nicaragua, Thailand, saving people from human trafficking, planting churches, doing great things around the world. Yes, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. I'll even put them on the crawl right there so you can say, what was that promo code again? It was we tackle life in all caps. All right, NFC and AFC championship games. I see there's a big snowstorm headed for Wisconsin. That'll be fun. Tom Brady in the snow. Mike Pettin, the former Browns head coach. Hey, Browns fans, remember Mike Pettin? I think Mike Pettin would have been an okay head coach with the Browns. He got trapped in the prevailing Browns dysfunction. This is how it went down, okay? Joe Banner, former Philadelphia Eagles executive, was still calling the shots in Cleveland, and Mike Lombardi, the guy he brought in who had the stink of letting Bernie Kosar go in the um, former Browns era, when the Browns were the Browns, that organization's now the Ravens. If you're a Browns fan, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway... Lombardi comes in, the minute he came in, the Browns fans hated him because he was there with Belichick when Belichick let Bernie go. So so everybody hated Lombardi from day one. And Banner was the guy who brought him in, which is stupid. Don't bring a guy in that everybody hates. So Banner and Lombardi are there. They're buddies when Lombardi comes in. 
But then they start going at each other, cannibalizing each other. But before they totally cannibalized each other and before Jimmy Haslam, the owner, realized, oh, I can't have these two guys going. This guy's informant on that guy and that guy's informant on that guy. They hired a coach and the coach they hired was Mike Patton. So you always want to work, no matter what you do, whether it's football, basketball, whether it's accounting, or whether it's just working on an assembly line, you always want to work for the guy who hired you. Always. Because that guy likes you. He wouldn't have hired you. So Lombarder, uh, that's kind of a good combinational name for those two knuckleheads. Lombardi and Banner hire Patton. And less than two weeks later, Haslam blows them both out. Blows them both out of the organization. And there's Patton sitting there like, what have I signed up for here? So they elevate Ray Farmer, okay? They elevate Ray Farmer to GM, which, ah, looks great on the Rooney rule. Ray Farmer's African-American. Ray Farmer paid his uh, dues in the Dolphins organization. Ray Farmer's going to do fine. And Ray Farmer gets in there and just, I don't know whether it's because he's in the Browns facility and there's some kind of a, you know, intellectual staff infection in that building at that time. But the the decisions he made and the statements he made, including like, ah, wide receivers are overrated. Yeah, sure they are, Ray. Um, Patton never had a chance. Patton never had a chance. Well, so Patton, like all Browns coaches except Kevin Stefanski, ends up on the scrap heap. And he lands, because he was a pretty good defensive coordinator with the Ravens before, so he ends up back in the NFL, you know, coordinating a defense. And he's the Packers defensive coordinator. So he'll have a shot at Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game. The problem is, Patton, from his time in the AFC East with the Jets and then with Baltimore, he has coordinated a defense against Tom Brady 13 times, and he's 3-10. and 3-10. and 10. Now, the game's at Lambeau. And although all 13 of those times, Mike Pettin didn't have Aaron Rodgers to cover his derriere, but he had Aaron Rodgers to cover his derriere in October. And Tom Brady and the Bucks beat the Packers uh, 38 to 10. Now, do I expect that again? I do not. But I'm rooting for Brady. I I think it'd be awesome to watch Tom Brady win a seventh Super Bowl. And I know many of you are like, what? Are you crazy? I'm so tired of Brady. I, I've said before, wouldn't it have been cool to live during the Babe Ruth era? Wouldn't it have been cool to live during the Oscar Robertson era? Like, who doesn't want to live during an era with the greatest of all time? Well, I do. Brady is the greatest of all time, but I like to see him achieve, and I think it'd be great. Plus, look at it this way, Browns fans. This would be Brady's way of sticking it to Belichick by winning a Super Bowl after Bill disengaged from him. Because there's always been this eternal question, is it Brady or is it Belichick? The answer is yes, it's both. But it would be nice for Brady, and I like Bruce Arians. So I would like to see Tampa Bay get to the Super Bowl, and I would like to see, would I like to see Tampa Bay win the Super Bowl? Sure, why not? Against the, well, then I feel bad because I'm rooting for the Buffalo Bills and the AFC. <laughs> Buffalo Bills fans have suffered enough. Uh, you've already lost four Super Bowls. I'd hate to see you lose a fifth. Uh, by the way, it'd be interesting to see the narrative if the Buffalo Bills get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Hmm, does that change Browns fans' view of Baker Mayfield? Because Josh Allen 
like everybody in that draft, was sitting there when the Browns had the number one overall pick and they took Baker Mayfield. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Baker played pretty well this year. I think he'll play better next year. I think Stefanski's a good coach for him. I need Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield to spend a whole lot more time together so that some of Kevin Stefanski's, you can pick your poison here, his boringness or his calm demeanor or his measured approach rubs off on Baker Mayfield. Because I don't need my quarterback all over the place, going down the field, flailing his arms around, high-stepping. You know, uh, Nick Chubb had a big run against the Chiefs on Sunday, and they bring Nick Chubb down, and Baker Mayfield's standing right next to him because he was doing the whole all over the place running down the field. You know what's going to happen to Baker Mayfield in that situation? Some linebacker's going to say, oh, here comes number six to block. I don't want to be blocked by number six. Here, number six, let me deposit you in the first row. And you can say, well, he might get 15 yards. Yeah, he might. And Baker Mayfield might get concussion. And then Case Keenum is your quarterback. How are you going to feel about that? Stay in the backfield where you belong. Run over to the sidelines. Confer with Stefanski. Get the next play. Calm down so you can make a good read on the next play. <clears throat> I don't like an emotional quarterback. So Baker Mayfield, you got all the talent we need. But right now, you're not better than Patrick Mahomes. You're not better than, than uh, Josh Allen. And you know what? You're not... You're not as dynamic. I didn't say he's better. I said he, Lamar Jackson of the Ravens, is more dynamic than you. So for the Browns to get to the Super Bowl, it is inconceivable that they would not have to get past Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, or Patrick Mahomes. You're just not going to get a freebie in the playoffs like that. He's probably going to have to beat two of those guys to get to the Super Bowl. So I need him to be more calm and more measured. All right. The time to be calm and measured for you is when you're looking for an attorney. You don't want to be desperate looking for an attorney. Heaven forbid you don't want to go with an attorney that is in a direct mail solicitation or is advertising about, you know, how they're going to get you millions of dollars from a fender bender on TV. You know, when you attach yourself to an attorney as your representative, they attach their integrity to you. Is that what you want? Well, it is if you hire Willis Spangler Starling, my attorney firm, the official attorney firm, not just of this podcast, but of the Bruce Hooley Show on 98.9 The Answer, 5 to 7, Monday through Friday. Stan Willis, Kelly Willis, their other partners, Phil, Ashley, at Willis Spangler Starling, have that measured processed approach to the law. They're passionate about it, though. Don't mistake their passion, and don't mistake their desire to serve you through their expertise in the law. They understand every lawsuit for you is your Super Bowl, because how many of us ever have to go into court? How many of us are ever the object of an action? How many of us have questions about, are they dealing fairly with me at work? What am I going to do with this workers' compensation issue? You know, I knew someone recently who had a daughter who hurt their back in a physical job, and they showed up for a workers' compensation hearing, and they thought it was just going to be a workers' compensation hearing, you know, like a fact-finding mission. Well, they show up, and the workers' comp, they have, like the, the, the uh, firm, the business, they have an attorney. And this other side was like, wow. So be prepared ahead of time. By knowing you're going to go with Willis Spangler Starling. They're online at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. 
there is their website right on the crawl, easy for you to see and follow. Okay, congratulations to Greg Madison, Buckeyes co-defensive coordinator. He is retiring at age 71. I really like Greg Madison. I like Greg Madison when I interviewed him when he was at Florida in 2006. Yes, I know that's a game we don't speak of in Columbus, Ohio, the 41-14 to national championship loss to the Gators. Greg Madison was the coordinator of that defense, and he was facing Troy Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, and an explosive Ohio State offense. And somebody, not me because I thought it was a dumb question, say, how do, you, how do you think you could possibly stop the Ohio State offense? It was from one of the uh, Buckeye-centric publications, as if, you know, Florida had just lucked into winning the SEC. And Greg Madison just kind of caught himself. And he said, well, you know, we hope Jarvis Moss and Derek Harvey can get pressure on Troy Smith. But the way he said it, it was like kind of Batman-esque or kind of Joker-esque. Wait till they get a load of us. And early in the game, sure enough, Troy Smith went back to pass. And here comes Jarvis Moss speeding around the right edge. And Troy did what he always did in the Big Ten. He ducked inside Jarvis Moss, and he's patting the ball, ready to throw it. Jarvis Moss from behind comes back, kaboom, and flattens Troy Smith. And for some reason, it's always made an indelible impression on me. Troy gets up, turns around, and looks at him like, that never happened before. And that's true. It didn't happen before in the Big Ten that year. But it happened a lot that night because, man, Moss and Harvey dominated that game, dominated it. And so Greg Madison knows how to coordinate a defense. He's been with the Ravens. He's been with Notre Dame. He's been with Michigan. He's been with Ohio State. And I said to him last year at the playoff game against Clemson, I said, do you ever think about how strange you look in red? I said, I just can't get used to you in red. Because he was, you know, he's blue at Michigan, blue at Notre Dame, blue at Florida, and purple in Baltimore. And he said, yeah, my wife likes me in red. Well, I'm sure she liked the million dollars that Ohio State paid Greg Madison the last two years. But in terms of coaching salaries, they got their money's worth out of him. He's an excellent football coach. He's a really good guy. I would enjoy having dinner with Greg Madison and picking his brain about all the guys that he's been with over the years. So I hope he really enjoys his retirement. And I wonder, you know, Ohio State will hire a very talented coach with an awesome resume to replace him and help coordinate the defense with Kerry Combs. But one of the weaknesses on Ohio State's team into next year, and this doesn't mean it's weak compared to, you know, Purdue. It just means it's weak compared to what Ohio State aspires to, is linebacker. Linebacker was not great this year. But linebacker had Baron Browning and Pete uh, Werner. And next year, they're not going to have either of those guys. And so I look at the linebackers for next year, and I'm like, who are these guys? No Justin Hilliard either. I mean, I've heard Kayvon Pope's name, but he's been here a while, and he hasn't played. And when you're there a while and you haven't played, it tells you there's a reason why. Uh, Tarada Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Tommy Eichenberg. Uh, I know a lot of people say, wow, what about Reed Carrico? What about Reed Carrico? From Ironton. <clears throat> okay, small sample size. True freshman Reed Carrico. I saw Reed Carrico play in the state championship game against Kirtland. 
not a factor at all, at all on defense. And um, so I just don't think he's going to step right into the Big Ten and be an all-Big Ten. He's not going to be Andy Katzenmoyer, okay? So that's the deal there. Now, Ohio State also has issues in the secondary, as you know. Seven Banks is coming back. Cameron Brown is coming back. Uh, Marcus Williamson is coming back. Josh Proctor is coming back? Wow, okay. Josh Proctor is a big hitter, but he's also a big misser. Uh, he missed on Trevor Lawrence in the playoff game two years ago against Clemson. Proctor misses a lot of tackles. Proctor goes for the big shot, and if he doesn't get it, uh, it's not good. So there is that. I think Ohio State's going to be really, really good next year. The guy's coming back. Olavi stunned me. I wouldn't have come back if I'm Olavi. I wouldn't have come back if I'm Ruckert. I wouldn't have come back if I'm Haskell Garrett. But they got all three of those guys, so they're really going to be good. And a lot of how good they are will depend upon whether Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith at defensive end can take a jump. Now, they're not going to be Joey Bosa. They're not going to be Nick Bosa. They're not going to be Chase Young. But they got to be better than they've been. So Ohio State didn't get enough pressure on the passer last season. And that showed up, I think, in the national title game against Mac Jones. Now, while Greg Madison exits the revolving door of coaching into retirement, a couple ex-NFL head coaches join the Nick Saban coaching rehabilitation tour. How many guys have polished their resume by working for a time with Nick Saban? Well, Steve Sarkeesian, of course, Lane Kiffin, of course, uh, Butch Jones, of course. That is where frustrated, unsuccessful coaches go to put a new sheen on their resume and get a big paying job. So Bill O'Brien, ex-head coach of the Houston Texans, and Doug Marone, ex-head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, replaced by Urban Meyer, will be on the Alabama staff next year. Now, the Ohio State staff, we thought it was a big deal when an NFL head coach and Greg Schiano came and coordinated the defense until, you know, it went south. But two ex-NFL head coaches on your staff – I'm not sure about O'Brien as an offensive coordinator. Hey, Bruce, are you aware that Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator in New England Patriots with Tom Brady? Yes, I'm aware of that. And really, the Houston Texans' offense was not the problem. The problem was Bill O'Brien as GM. That was the problem. So he'll have Bryce Young at quarterback. And I'm sure they got a bunch of great players at Alabama. They always do. But the guy who will make the biggest impression, in my opinion, is Bill, is Doug Marone on the offensive line because he's a really good offensive line coach. That's a big get for Alabama. Okay, time to remind you about business owners. First, congrats on making it to 2021. Can't imagine how tough 2020 was for you after the pandemic. And Governor DeWine said yesterday he's going to extend the curfew, the 10 o'clock curfew, for three more weeks. And he really said it's indefinite. It just crushes business. <clears throat> just crushes it. Um, I don't think the anyway. The, I'll try to stay away from my opinions on the governor's lockdowns. What I know is that businessmen and women need a friend, an ally, somebody to help them through, somebody who can answer questions, somebody who can take stuff off their plate, somebody who can answer questions about ticklish things that can put you in a jackpot, like compliance issues. You got an employee who is scared to death of COVID. You have three other employees who have had COVID and are fine. The scared to death employee is 60, so he's not eligible for the vaccine yet. And you want to move on, man. You need him, but you can't keep him on the payroll forever. You can't be a Zoom waitress or waiter 
What do you do? I wouldn't have a clue. Do you know who does? AUINFO.com. AUINFO.com. They answer all your questions like that because they have Julie on staff, and she's a, an expert in HR. They have this special package of HR benefits that if you allow AUINFO to find the carrier for your insurance benefits, health, vision, dental, disability, the HR package comes with it. Man, how much are you spending on HR a year? I don't know, but I know this. If you go with auinfo.com and let them align you with the perfect insurance carrier that can probably save you money and give you better benefits tailored to your employees, I know how much you'll pay for HR. Bupkis, zero. That's how much you'll pay. You'll pay Jonathan Cooper's number, zero, because they don't charge you for that additional HR guidance, okay? So that's why you need to click on auinfo.com, auinfo.com, and just ask them. I know I'm a business owner. It's really a pain to change. How complicated is this going to be? Can can I change now? Do I have to wait till December? The answer is you can change now. And so just put your question in the chat or call them. Or if you want to meet with them in person, they're open to that as well. So auinfo.com, auinfo.com. All right, we hit on all the football and all the Buckeye stuff. So that means let me find the label. For those of you who are might be new to the podcast, this podcast started... <clears throat> in August of 2019, Mr. Spielman called me and said, hey, let's do a podcast. I said, aren't you doing local radio? Nope, don't want to do local radio. I want to do a podcast. I'm like, okay. Uh, one problem, I don't know anything about podcasting. I don't have the equipment. I don't know how to release it. I, don't know. I just, I know how to do content. Well, you know, it took me about three days to figure out the X's and O's of the podcast game. But what Chris and I really wanted to do with the podcast up front was, A, retain our audience from our years in radio, talking about the Buckeyes, the Browns, the Bengals. Oh, I almost said Blue Jackets, and I was going to – I left the Blue Jackets out of my little podcast uh, sports portion today. Let me just digress to Blue Jackets for a second. By the time I talk to you again, first of next week, I bet they trade Pierre-Luc Dubois, and that is a huge mistake. Do not get young centermen. How long the Blue Jackets thirst for a young centerman? Years, maybe a decade. And then they finally got one in Ryan Johansson. And then they traded Ryan Johansson. Why? Because he couldn't get along with John Tortorella. And now they have another one in Pierre-Luc Dubois. And yes, I know they got Seth Jones out of the Ryan Johansson trade. That was fortunate that you got probably a better player than uh, Johansson. But Johansson's still a really good player. But Pierre-Luc Dubois comes along, they take him third in the draft, and last year he gets you 10 points in 10 playoff games, and Pierre-Luc Dubois is a keeper. But they're not going to keep him. Because though he is signed for the next two years at a very manageable $5 million, Pierre-Luc Dubois doesn't like John Tortorella. Now, typically, I am not in the trade-a-guy just because he doesn't like the head coach camp. But this is not the first time that John Tortorella's abrasive manner has cost the Blue Jackets a really talented player, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Ryan Johansson, Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky. So at some point in time, you are holding on to someone who is keeping you from getting the kind of talent you have to have to win the Stanley Cup. And I believe that is the goal. So I don't believe John Tortorella's service in Columbus has much ceiling left. Notice I didn't say he's done a bad job. He's done a terrific job. But John Tortorella, like... Donald Trump cannot be saved from his own worst tendencies. Had Trump been more presidential, had he stayed off Twitter, 
Had he been more measured and more uh, humble, I believe he would have a better chance of getting reelected president. John Tortorella doesn't have an off button on his abrasive nature. Sometimes it makes him a good coach with certain players. But a lot of guys, when they get to the point in their career that Johansson, PLD, Sergey Bobrovsky, and Bred, Artemi Panarin, got to, they don't want to be screamed at all the time. Jimmy Johnson told me years ago when I was covering the University of Miami, I was doing a personality profile on him when I first got the team beat. And they had, you know, they had Mike Irvin and Lonzo Highsmith and Melvin Bratton and Jerome Brown and Vinny Testaverde. That was the team I got to cover. <clears throat> and I said, how do you handle discipline on the team? How do you keep these guys? These guys were like, you talk about free spirits. Whoa. And he goes, oh, I have different rules for everybody. And I thought I misheard him. I like wanted to clear my ears out. I said, well, what? You mean like you have the same rules for everybody and you hold to that standard? Because that's like what all coaches say, right? I have the same rules for everyone. Jimmy goes, no, I have different rules for everybody. It's like, you got to know how to handle each player. You got to know what each player needs. Some guys earn a little leeway. Oh, by the way, I forgot Benny Blades and Brian Blades were on that team. So John Tortorella doesn't have that approach. John Tortorella has a my way or the highway. And his highway is very narrow. And he screamed at PLD in the playoffs last year, and everybody's like, oh, look at PLD. He had, you know, great game after Tortorella screamed at him. Yeah, and he disengaged too. And he doesn't want to be here because John Tortorella's here. And it's not like they're going deep in the playoffs with Torts. He can get them past the first round, and they had 2-0 leads, and no, boom, sign our see you later. So I don't think John Tortorella, I don't think the juice from Torts is worth the squeeze. I'm on team PLD, okay, just so you know. Oh, that was not the faith portion of the podcast. Sorry, I had that on the screen. Okay, now, now we will get to the faith portion of the podcast. Because when Chris and I started the podcast, we said, well, we want to talk sports, but we want to really be more transparent. The podcast format allows us to be more transparent with our faith to hopefully encourage husbands and fathers and men to live how the Bible tells them to when we put our faith in Christ. And for those of you who haven't done that, it is to expose what our lives are like with the submission to that authority in our lives. So, with all that said, uh, I shared with you a couple podcasts ago that at this time in our country when we are changing approaches to how we do things, and there was a major, um, major executive order signed by the president on his first day in office, that will make federal law um, the allowance of transgender boys, excuse me, transgender girls, that is a boy at birth who identifies as a girl, transgender girls, so it's a boy, biologically, um, testosterone-wise, narrow hips, bigger shoulders, more muscle tone. It will allow transgender girls to play girl sports. We will see soon a transgender girl, a boy, a male, playing basketball in the Big Ten for some school, maybe Ohio State. We'll see him playing girls' soccer, maybe for Ohio State. We'll see it on the high school level. We'll see it on, it's very possible, we'll see it on the junior high level. <clears throat> so, uh, I do not agree with that. I am not, um, I am not criticizing the person because I believe the person has a disconnect between their biology and their 
recognition in their brain, much like, in fact, almost exactly like an anorexic. An anorexic girl is very often not overweight. But when they look in the mirror, they see an overweight person. And we would never tell an anorexic girl who weighs, you know, 100 pounds, who says, no, but I'm fat, I'm ugly. We would never say, you're right. You are fat and ugly. You should lose weight. I mean, that would be a horrible thing to say, right? But that's what we do with transgender kids. Is we say, oh, you feel like a girl? Okay, you are a girl. And we give them hormone treatments and all this stuff. Well, anyway, that's kind of a digression. They're going to be playing girl sports. They're going to be in girls' locker rooms. They're going to be on. So, so I see these challenges coming because there's just a different approach from the Biden administration to the Trump administration. And I said the other day, we need, I need to get a template for how to live as a Christian in this world. And my template is, well, who's done it, right? I always try to emulate successful people. Okay, who's done that? Well, I know the disciples did that uh, because after Jesus was crucified, the church was down to 120, 120 believers. That's in Acts 2, I believe. It tends to thin your numbers when you see your leader crucified on a cross. So they were down to 120 hardcore believers. And then Peter gave a speech at Pentecost. They got 3,000 more believers. He gave another speech in the temple courts, added another 2,000 believers. So, okay, well, they're adding believers. And Peter and John and the disciples led that charge. So guess what? If I read about how they did that, maybe I'll learn something too. So I've been reading in the book of Acts and trying to take lessons from the book of Acts. So that is what I'd like to share with you today. The other night I was driving along 33 uh, toward... uh, Marysville, and I saw a billboard along the highway. It's one of those electronic billboards, and it was from the FBI. And the the post on the billboard was, if you have information about the Capitol riots, contact us. Help us find the people who did that. Which sparked in my mind the phrase, if you see something, say something. Now, that phrase has been around with us. The first time I remember hearing it was after 9-11. And the thought was, hey, if you see somebody like drop a package somewhere or looks suspicious, if you see something suspicious, say something. Because it might save lives. It might prevent an evil act from happening. In the early stages of COVID, well, maybe the middle stages of COVID, it was not uncommon in other states, thankfully not here in Ohio, but in other states, remember around Thanksgiving, some governors were saying, hey, if you see people gathering at your neighbor's house and there's more than 10 of them and they're not wearing masks, Call us. If you see something, say something. So that has sort of been a template for us to thwart what is evil or we perceive to be evil or to preserve the public safety. If you see something, say something. So that is where I would like to to sort of focus on in the faith lesson today. A lot of us struggle to share our faith. We really struggle to share it because we think, ah, it's going to really make people mad and they don't want to hear it or who am I? I'm disqualified or whatever. Well, you're not disqualified. All you have to do is follow that phrase. If you see something, say something. What do you mean by that? Have you seen something in your life? Have you seen something in your life where God has worked in your life? He's worked in my life. He's still working (laughs) to make me more patient, but I am more patient than I was. Um, He has made me recognize my pride. He has made me recognize my lack of control with my language. 
he has convicted me of my faults. He has instructed me with his word. He has encouraged me with the counsel of other godly people like Chris Spielman and many of my friends from church and work. And so I have seen something in my life. I have seen something in friends of mine's lives. I saw something in my father's life. He became a much more gentle, much more devoted disciple, reader of God's word, and it changed him. So I have seen something, and that is what I am called to say to other people about the transformative power of Christ. And that is the unique, you think of it in terms of a sales presentation, okay? And I don't mean to demean the gospel, but, you know, basically what you're doing is you're advertising God's impact on your life and what he can do for others with the way you live. So it's kind of, let's think of it as a sales presentation, okay? Well, think of those sales presentations either at the state fair or at Costco or at an auto show or someplace where what's going on? The guy's up front and he's demonstrating. Maybe it's a Vitamix, maybe it's a polish for, you know, the wax on the car or whatever it is. And there are always people right up front who are really interested and really engaged. And then there are always people standing in the back who you can't really tell if they're super interested or if they're just kind of like mildly interested. And when the guy finishes his presentation, what happens? The people up front, one or two of them, maybe all of them, step up and buy. In the back, people either surprise you by wending their way up through the crowd and buying or they just turn and walk away. So if you think of your sales presentation of the gospel with your life, how you talk, what you talk about, what you extol, what you glorify, are the people right up front in your life, right next to you, your wife, your husband, your kids, your family, your coworkers, the people who you see all the time, If they're not believers, based upon your sales presentation and their close proximity to it, will they buy or will they not buy? Will they not adopt the faith? Will they want that in their life or will they not want that in their life? And then the people who are farther away on the back of the uh, crowd at the sales presentation, they're watching you from a distance at work, at church, on your a recreational team, the guys you play golf with, the women you're in, you know, a certain club with. Are you pushing them away with your sales presentation? Or are you connecting and drawing them? Because they're looking for something. Much like the people at a sales presentation are looking for something. Imagine, back in the days of the door-to-door salesman, right? The door-to-door salesman. Let's say you were selling a vacuum door to door. You walk in a house and there's like five cats and there's cat hair everywhere. And you're talking about the vacuum and this picks up dirt and it just, you've got an attachment for the stairs and look, you can take this off and you can vacuum your sofa. And the person doesn't buy. And the reason the person doesn't buy is because you failed to tell them 
hey, our vacuum picks up cat hair. If you had told them your vacuum picks up cat hair, that is what they were waiting to see. That is what they were waiting to find out. And you say, well, they'll probably ask me if it picks up cat hair. Yeah, they might for a vacuum, but they're not going to ask you with your testimony of your faith, hey, I, I really, can the gospel do this for me? If I give my life to Christ, can it do this for me? They're probably not going to ask or too embarrassed to ask. You have to know what they are looking for, and you have to demonstrate that with your life. I've driven so many people away in my life with my brusque manner, my arrogant manner, my pride. I've, I, I, I mourn the people I have driven away. I'm sure I don't even have an approximation of the number. But that doesn't mean you just give up. It means you keep striving. God talks about seek and you will find. And I've used that example a million times. Seeking is not looking. Seeking is an urgency. You know what I'm going to say, right? I always say it. If you don't have your keys, you don't look for them. You seek them. You enlist the help of others. You're invested. Got to have the keys, right? Got to have God. I reached a point in my life where I realized I had dropped all the balls. Everything was on the ground. I couldn't do it in my own strength. I had to seek what's in this holy word of God that is transforming others' lives because I want that in my life. And praise the Lord, I found it. So if you have seen something work in your life, say something. Say that. Say what you've seen in yourself and in others. Um, Peter and John in Acts, they healed a crippled beggar, 40 years old. Guy had been unable to walk his whole life. So they healed the beggar. And everybody in town sees it. Everybody's like, whoa, <laughs> we thought the miracles ended when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And he was here for like 30 or 40 days after he rose from the dead, but he ascended into heaven. He's not here anymore. We thought there were no more miracles, but look at these guys. They're healing a beggar. Everybody in town was in an uproar about it. The religious leaders didn't want the gospel to flourish. They told these guys, hey, cheese it. Knock it off. Don't talk about this anymore. No more Jesus talk. And Peter and John said to them, judge for yourselves whether it's right to obey you rather than God. See, they'd already made up their mind who they were going to obey. It wasn't the religious leaders. Judge for yourselves whether it is right to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's our motivation as Christians. If you've seen something, and you have, say something. Because you never know who's waiting to hear it. Uh, that is the podcast for today. I appreciate you guys joining us. I hope you have a great weekend. Whew, we're going to need help tomorrow at 4 o'clock when the Buckeyes play Wisconsin. Let's hope. We are on our game because it would be wonderful, luscious, delicious to beat Bucky the Badger on the road. Yes. Have a great weekend. Talk to you again first of the week. God bless. Thank you.